Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Well, guys, this season went by uh, as quickly as a season I can remember. We are in championship week. Welcome to Until Saturday. I'm Ari Wasserman, joined by David Ubbin and Kennington Smith III, the forgotten Alabama beat writer, because Dave <laughs> decided to write off Alabama before the season started, and we haven't had Kenny on the show for a while. Um, and now there's a reason to, because Kenny is going to be uh, maybe covering a playoff game this week. So uh, I'm excited to talk about all the show and uh, all the things that we have. So, uh, Dave, how are we doing today? I'm doing pretty good, and I would like the record to show that we were sort of right about Alabama in many ways. Uh, they were the flaws that we were worried about before the season. Pass blocking weapons were true; they were accurate, but they sort of survived them early in the season. You look at how Alabama was playing early in the year; they probably should they probably should have lost to Tennessee. They probably were close to lo- they were close to losing to Texas A and M, uh, sort of on the ropes there uh, a little bit, uh, and obviously the flaws were on full display against Texas. Uh, lockdown, uh, Ole Miss obviously nearly let Arkansas back into that ball game. You're doing so, it again. I'm just saying. Why are you doing things, it again? All the Ari two two prong two prong argument here. All the things we were concerned about were correct. And it is a credit to Nick Saban and to the Alabama players that they managed to win all of those games and put themselves in the position that they are now. I'm beginning to wonder if Nick Saban is a pretty good football coach. I know that that's a, an unpopular take, a, a hot take, if you will. But I think this 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 coach, you know, nobody expects much out of him. But I feel like you know he gives you an edge in some games. We're we're gonna let Kenny cook on this when we get to the games here. Um, Mm -hmm. But first, let me just officially welcome everybody to Until Saturday's Championship Weekend Picks. Um, Please like, comment, and subscribe on the YouTube channel if you're here. Um, Same thing goes for the podcast feed. If you could leave a review, five stars, preferably comments, share, interact with both channels as much as you possibly can to get the show's growth uh, continuing on the right trajectory. That would mean a ton to us. And if you're a podcast listener and you want to listen to YouTube, and if you're a YouTube listener who wants to listen to the podcast, the links can be found in both shows' descriptions to find the other one. Um, also, sign up for the Until Saturday newsletter where you'll get your daily fill of college football news delivered right to your inbox directly from the athletic staff. Shana Bardall does a great job with that, and um, all of our staff writers who cover college football contribute to it. So you do not have to be subscribed to The Athletic if you want that newsletter, but now is a really good time to do so because you get a one-year gift sub- subscription to The Athletic for $19.99 and two years for $39.99 just by visiting theathletic.com slash gift sale for the holiday season. And as we get into the picks, remember that all the lines that we talk about, over-unders, spreads, all that is presented by BetMGM. Okay, Kenny, let's get right into it. The first game of the week is Alabama-Georgia. It's the uh, the big dog, I think, of the weekend because it's really a true playoff game. Not that the others aren't, but um, I think some people think this might be the quasi-national championship game. By some people, 
I mean, people who you. think about uh, Group A and Group B. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it is or not. Um, but what is your take on this, Kenny, what, watching this Alabama team develop? And um, what do you think about Dave's in- inability to know that talent matters in college football? Oh, my God. Yeah, I thought that, <laughs> yeah, I thought that you set that up perfectly. Um, I said this before we started recording that I had to get on Max and Sam when I was on their show for the LSU week that – Much like Alabama, I was cast away and forgotten by my peers at The Athletic when Alabama lost to Texas. I was just floating around in the ether, not getting hit up for until Saturday, not getting hit up for Sunday sound off. Like I'm just out here covering um, a lifeless Bama team. And now here they are, um, you know, with a chance to, to win the SEC. I do agree with you that in a lot of ways, this does feel like an unofficial national championship. I think. Um, I know you asked about Alabama, but just looking at this from the Georgia side of it, um, adding a little perspective to this, I believe this is going to be Kirby's sixth SEC championship game. He's been to twice as many SEC championships as college football playoffs, yet he has the same number of national championships as SEC championships. That just goes to show how hard it is to win this game. And a lot of times this game does determine, you know, who is at least going to play for the national championship, if not win the national championship game. So it does feel like a one game season. It obviously is from the Bama side. They have one loss. If Georgia loses this game, maybe they still get into the field. Um, but I would expect them to to not. It just depends on kind of whatever else happens on, on championship week. From the Alabama perspective, I think there's a healthy amount of respect for who Georgia is and what they've become. Since 2021, because a lot's changed since then. In that 2021 game, Georgia was ranked number one, but they had yet to validate themselves as a program because they hadn't won a championship yet. Alabama was the defending national champion. And since then, Georgia hasn't lost. And Alabama is now on the other side of it, trying to prove that they are still the standard in the sport. So I think there's a healthy amount of respect for Alabama. They've talked about that throughout the week. They've talked about Georgia's long win streak and um, the respect that they have for that in acknowledging that they are a good team, but there's a lot of confidence on the Alabama side as well. And I think that they're going to want to come out there um, and and wash away what happened in the Iron Bowl and put on the best show that they can for the playoff committee because it is an audition for them at the end of the day. Um, winning the game probably isn't going to be enough. I think the committee is, is letting us know that weekly with the rankings they might have to win in an emphatic statement just like they did in 2021. So um, the stakes in this game have never really felt higher. Um, last year of the SEC championship before we get to the 12 team era. Um, and it is kind of, I guess, jarring to think that the SEC champion might not make the playoff depending on the outcome of this game. Well, I, I don't, I think there's really any chance of that happening, Dave. Do you, I mean, I, I think that if Alabama wins, they are, I think that you could even make the case that Alabama could be the one or two seed if that happens, because I think winning and beating Georgia in the city of Atlanta in the state of Georgia and being a one loss, they won't be the one sec champ. Um, you know, could be maybe the best team in college football. I think that we are underestimating how much beating Georgia means for your ethos. Like you get to like grab all of the things that we love and admire about Georgia. And that becomes your resume. It's like buying property almost like you, Alabama got a, uh, or I mean, Texas got a huge, Alabama win earlier in the season and that value, that property that they've had since has carried with them and it's going up in value. And I think that the Alabama win hypothetically over Georgia would be like buying a house in Beverly Hills. Like you get to have that. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's more if I like see a scenario. When you're Kirby and super smash brothers and you eat your opponent. 
That's really what it is. Do you do you think that there is? Listen, we're two years away or removed, excuse me, from going into an SEC championship game where Georgia was, you know, kind of people thought was just like going to win, and then they didn't, you know, and yeah. it worked out well because they got a rematch and, and end up ultimately winning the national championship. But this is a five point spread here, five and a half. Like this is probably going to be a very good game, and I think I've, I I kind of just get a sense that everybody is just assuming that Georgia's going to win. And I don't necessarily think I buy that. Dave, what do you think? Was that the last time Alabama was an underdog? Because I think I remember going into that game, Alabama had kind of been tripping around, messing around all season long. And the the conventional wisdom going into that game was like, finally, Georgia's going to like expose Alabama. They're going to get just absolutely mollywhopped in this game. And then Bryce Young set their defense on fire. I'm fairly certain that was the last time. That Alabama was an underdog. Because I'm fairly certain that Georgia was the favorite in, or that Bama was the the favorite in the national title game. So, yeah. So, I'm with you on this, Ari. I I think five and a half points with Nick Saban and a very good Alabama team, that's too juicy. I I definitely am taking Bama in this game. I think they can win this game outright. Say that again. Just say it again like it's an echo. They can win this game outright. (laughs) Say, I am cons- they can win the game outright. They can win the game outright. They can win the game outright. <laughs> I am concerned because, like I said, all of the concerns that we had for Alabama, we were right about those things. All right, those have been an issue. Mm-hmm. Like the receivers have come on a little bit late, but they still don't have a game breaker. They have some good pieces. Like Isaiah Bond has made some nice plays. Jermaine Burton sort of comes and goes. He can make some plays, but he sort of is who he is. We've seen a lot of him over the course of his career. Um, so if there's and if there's any team that can expose some of those warts, limit Jalen Milrow, keep him in the pocket, keep contain, it's Georgia, but Bama's too juicy here. Um I I I think Georgia wins this, and there's a world in which Georgia wins this game, you know, uh 31-20, 31-17, something like that. But I, I like Bama and the points here because I think they can win. And if you got an underdog that you can easily see winning outright. You know, I think you take Bama here, and I would I would put a little sprinkle on the, on well, the, it, uh, the Bama outright. The thing that it scares me is, is that, one, you can convince yourself that the Auburn game was kind of a re-emerging storyline to the entire country of, like, these warts still exist, right? So, like, if, if Georgia well, takes advantage of it. Kind of, but I think it was more they couldn't control Peyton Thorne, and Bama doesn't have. Say and, that and again. Georgia- they couldn't control. Okay, I know they couldn't control. Like but the quarterback run game was a huge part of that ball game and a huge part of why Auburn moved yeah. the ball so effectively. Georgia doesn't have that. Georgia's not going to do that. And I think Georgia has a really good offense. I listen. The, for some reason, the commentary on this podcast thinks I don't like Carson Beck or I don't think Carson Carson Beck is quite David good. Ubbin, the Carson Beck denier. He's very good. I don't know how this narrative has taken hold. But I think Carson Beck is very good. I don't think he's playing at a Heisman level, but he's a really good player and he can win this game for them. Uh, but he's not that fleet of foot. Uh, he's not a statue. But th- you know, Georgia's not going to call you know six runs for him this game. They're not but on the flip start. side of that too, it's like if you say Alabama. I mean, we got to ask Kenny before this is over with too. What it was like to watch one of the most insane yeah, plays I've ever seen. We'll get seen. there. We'll but get there. But I, I do think that if you are worried about Alabama on one side of it, you also have some general concern about on the other with Georgia of like they aren't as good as they were the last two years. Winning national championship game three years in a row is really, really, really hard. Winning two in a row is really hard. And they haven't played anybody as deep and talented as Alabama this year. So if Georgia is going to be exposed, this is also 
yeah. the stage in which it's done. So, Kenny, from your perspective, um, how do you kind of see this game playing out? And um, is Alabama, in your opinion, good and deep enough to to beat Georgia and beat them, you know, in the state of Georgia again? Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of different points that both of you hit on that I'd like to address. I think on the first part with the Carson Beck question, it was interesting after player availability yesterday, we're sitting in the media room and one of my colleagues, he asked, said, you know, Kenny, you Georgia alum, you watch them. What weaknesses does Carson Beck have? And I sat there for a second and I was like, I mean, he really has not shown any. I would say that the only thing that you could point to is the fact that Georgia has not played an elite defense this year. And that is what they're going to see in Atlanta for the first time. And Georgia's offensive line has played great. And I think a lot of why Carson Beck is so successful is the fact that Georgia's offensive line keeps him clean. But they haven't seen a pass rush duo like Chris Braswell and Dallas Turner this season. And to me, the crux of the game comes down to who's going to affect the quarterback the most is Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell going to be able to heat Carson Beck up a little bit. Is Georgia going to be able to generate some pressure um, on Jalen Milrow? I think from the perspective of quarterback runs and you know Alabama not being able to contain Peyton Thorne, one big part of that was Auburn was able to set that up by rushing well to the perimeter of Alabama's defense with Jarquez Hunter. They were doing a lot of double pulling motions. They were able to get guys out onto the edge. And then off of that, they were able to open things up for Peyton Thorne. I think, you know, Georgia is really more of a, of a run between the tackles team with Kendall Milton and, and Dejon Edwards. We really haven't seen a team be able to do that against Alabama's defense. So the the battle in the trenches is really what ultimately I think this game is is going to come down to. Ari, to your point about the warts in Auburn, I do think there is some validity to that. I think the main thing that was a concern if you're an Alabama fan coming into the season was penalties. That was a huge reason why they lost against Tennessee last year. There was a huge reason why they lost against LSU last year. And in that Auburn game, they scored touchdowns on their first three possessions, but they only got 10 points for it. On the second possession, they score on a fourth and one. It gets called back for a holding. They end up hunting. Auburn scores a touchdown on the next drive. They come back the next drive after that, score another touchdown. Jalen Miro gets called for an illegal pass downfield. They have to settle for a field goal. So those type of things kind of reared its ugly head, and it hasn't been a, a problem over the last several weeks. But, um, you know, if that happens against Georgia, it's going to um, – the game is going to get away from them. I think they were able to get away with it against Auburn, but if, if touchdowns are coming off the board against Georgia at that type of rate, then um, – you know, they're not going to be very successful on Saturday. I think Alabama is definitely talented enough to definitely deep enough to, to beat this game. I think, um, you know, I like Alabama in the points in this game. Like I said, I think everything in me and maybe you two feel the same way points to Georgia winning this game because, you know, maybe better roster. You look at the positions, who would you rather have? Georgia probably wins more positions than Alabama, but this is a, a, a matchup in which Alabama can exploit some weaknesses that Georgia has as well, especially, you know, defensively. So I like Alabama. The points I think is going to be a, a really, really close game. And, um, you know, if Alabama were to win this game, I don't see how you have how you can keep both of these teams out of the playoff. Kenny, we got it. We got to ask you. I've been to a lot of great games. I've seen a lot of great moments. I have never been present for what I would consider an iconic college football moment. Uh, there have been a couple close ones. Can you please walk us through your perspective? Of <laughs> Were you in the press box or on the field? I was on. I was in the press box because mm-hmm. it was. It felt like 
Auburn was going to win the game, obviously, right? Alabama had three and out it a couple of times, and then they they punted away. And for whatever reason, there was a different number zero out there for Auburn. He drops the punt. And at that point, I go from about to close my laptop to walk to the field, and I have to reopen my laptop and start <laughs> writing a winning Bama story. Like, oh, they're about to have this triumphant muff punt. They're going to go down score. And then there was just a wild sequence of events of good plays, bad plays. They end up in the fourth and 31. And I just remember it was so loud. And Milrow drops back. He throws the the touchdown to Bond, and it goes from like pandemonium to complete silence in the stadium. And the only people that you could hear were obviously the people on the Bama side, and then everybody in the press box like yelling, "Holy shit!" Like, can't believe he scored. And <laughs> I'm just like, now my head is really scrambling. I'm like tearing apart everything that I wrote, trying to you know scramble it and get everything done. And, um, you know, trying to rush onto the field and get to the postgame press and all that. But it was, I mean, just an unbelievable game, unbelievable atmosphere. My first time being at the Iron Bowl and it lived up to and it lived up to the hype. And Auburn is a really tough place to play. I mean, Georgia had these same problems with them at the beginning mm-hmm. of the year and they barely escaped in that game. So I know Auburn's record isn't great, but these type of, of games and Auburn, you know, being a, a team that's the rivaling both Georgia and Bama, they get up for these type of games, especially in Jordan Hare. So just an electric atmosphere and, and something I really never forget. I'd said, like I'm on you know, personal social media feeds, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, that that was the craziest game I've ever been to in person. That was like the craziest play I've ever seen in my life in person um, just kind of speaks to who Alabama has been my entire life and who they are right now. I mean, they are just so hard to kill and you're going to have to play until the clock hits, you know, triple zeros and maybe even a little bit after that, if you want to beat them. So it's going to be an amazing game on Saturday. I think I just want to say one last thing. Um, I think I'm going to take, I think I'm going to lay the points here. Um, I think that Georgia is going to win by a touchdown. I think it's going to be a good game. I don't 100% trust Alabama to be the perfect addition of you know what it would take to actually win this game and I know Nick Saban's a genius he's a wizard it's hard to pick against him but you know Jalen Milrow's going against the 12th ranked pass defense in the country and the 5th uh ranked defensive yards per play or completion defense um 7th in nation in touchdowns allowed like they're going against a, a legitimate <clears throat> animal defense and i think that it's just georgia's a more complete team that i have less to worry about that said one last opinion the rule in college football where you can't return a muff punt is stupid and i don't understand yes. it yeah second dumbest rule in football outside like, of what's the point of that? i don't understand like it was the cleanest touchdown i've ever seen and they just yeah. blow it dead and it's like and I, I always agree. forget that rule it's like why did they blow the whistle and it's like oh yeah there's that dumbass rule that makes no sense the rule where you can't advance a fumble on fourth down is necessary, and I that one's fair. But the muff punt rule sucks. Like we got to get this out of here. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to the next game, guys. I'm going to this one. Uh, Dave and Kenny are going to be in Atlanta for the big game. Uh, yes, sir. This is a big game too. This is a uh, the Pac-12 Another championship game. Another playoff quarterfinal in the expanded playoff that has always exist, but now you are just uh, seeing it in the <laughs> Big Twelve <laughs> or in the conference championship week. But uh, Washington twelve and 9 and zero in the Pac-12 playing Oregon again, a team it beat at home by three. Uh, Oregon's 11 and one, eight and one in the Pac-12. The over under 66 and a half and Washington is catching nine and a half points, which means Vegas kind of feels the same way that you do, Dave, about Oregon. Not nine and a half points. I feel good about Oregon. I've, I've thought Oregon was a better team all season. I thought going into that first game, 
Oregon's a more complete team. They're better on the line of scrimmage. They're better at defense. Uh, I think these offenses are comparable. Washington, probably a little bit more talent, but Oregon just as effective. Um, nine and a half points, though. Ari. It's too many points. It's too many yeah. points. That's yeah. what everybody thinks. I agree. Let's see. See? Let me check this. I'm checking this. Everybody thinks it. I I agree. I mean, undefeated, undefeated team. I mean, obviously, you know, Washington had this like meteoric start to the season, this like crazy upper trajectory, and it kind of tapered off a little bit. But at the end of the day, it's still an undefeated team with the Heisman Trophy candidate and Michael Penn is one of the best, if not the best, receiving core um, in the country, led by um, led by Rome, who is um, a Belinikov finalist. So. Nine and a half seems a little disrespectful. I understand the um, the Oregon agenda is really strong right now, um, you know, both with, you know, Bo Nix in the Heisman race and obviously Oregon kind of being primed to take a college football spot with a win. But I, I imagine a closer game than, you know, this double digit spread is trying to imply. What's the percent what? of the money on on uh, Washington? Ari? So it's not real lopsided. Yeah, it feels like it feels like 90 percent. I would be scared, but it's not. I um, think that Washington has done a tremendously good job of going undefeated. Uh, it never um, ceases to amaze me how difficult it is and how people don't appreciate it. That said, I think that Washington, like in the Vegas power ratings, is outside of the top 10 in terms of just like the statistics and the algorithms that they use to, you know, decide these spreads. So, you know, to me, you look at Oregon and you've been talking about all year that they are a more complete team or a complete team in general that deserves to be, Oh, look at this. You know, Vegas has Washington ranked in the 11 to 15. So, um, 10 points feels like a lot, but it's 38, 28, 41, 31 that out of the question, like you have to like put yourself into the game and think, well, I'll take nine and a half points. And it is hard to cover a spread like this. And Washington's going to be playing for, it's life. It's really hard to beat the same team twice, but like I am leaning Oregon here. I just think that Oregon is a more complete, better football team and nine and a half is a scary spread. You don't want to have to to spread all those uh, um, points out there, but I don't know. I just, Oregon has good lines. Oregon has a better defense. Um, Bo Nix is playing better than Michael Penix. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that without offending people. Um, I think that Oregon has more offensive weapons well, maybe that's not true. I mean, Washington's offensive weapons are really, really good. Romo Dunze mm-hmm. is insanely good. I just mean from Bucky Irving to Troy Franklin and, and Nick. They've Tess got a Johnson. lot of guys out there, and they, they also have a better line, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's just – I think that it's really hard to beat the same team twice. I think Oregon is going to win the game, and I think semi-comfortably, especially considering the fact that Washington has basically you know, spent the last you know five weeks of the season – skirting by every team that they've played. And like at a certain point that catches up to you too. So um, we'll see, we'll see how it goes, but there's no question that the winner of this game is going to the playoff. And I think that's an exciting situation. And I don't know if the story from this game is who wins or that the PAC 12 went out on a high note. Like that's, there's a lot to, you know, break down here. Kenny, what's your perspective on this one? Yeah, I will say the, Obviously, the end of the Pac-12 is a storyline. I would also throw in the Heisman Trophy as well. I mean, two of the, the prime candidates for this, um, you know, Bo Nix and Michael Penis might be playing for for that trophy as well. I mean, I think Bo Nix has been playing really well. Uh, another dominant performance by Oregon. I feel like he has to be kind of like the going away um, Heisman Trophy winner at that point, leading Oregon, you know, back to 
the playoff. I think it's going to be an exciting game. Um, you know, I think I told you that um, I'm taking Washington in the points, but I'm also going to take the over. I'm expecting a lot of points in this game, really exciting. And it is truly a shame that the Pac-12 is kind of like going out in this um, blaze of glory because like everything that we've talked about the Pac-12, like over the years, that's all they always cannibalize themselves. They don't have true playoff contenders. Um, you know, being on the West Coast, not as much fan interest in college football as maybe the South or the Midwest and other regions. And it's all kind of like coming to a head in this way. So um, you might not be going to the big game, Ari, but I think you're very fortunate uh, to be going to this game. And I think that's going to be something that you're going to be able to to tell people about in the future that you were at the last, um, you know, really big Pac-12 game. This will be the most fun game of the week, I think. I, yeah. I think Alabama and Georgia is going to be just a blood sport fist fight. Oregon, Washington. Yeah. Oregon, Washington will be more of a lightsaber battle, I would say. Um, the fortunate thing is, Ari, if, if, if we wanted to explain to you, lightsabers are weapons traditionally used by Jedis. Traditionally uh, used the, by five-year-olds at Halloween parties, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, they're traditionally used by Jedis, which is an ancient religion that allows people to bend the forces of uh, physics around them and the minds of those around them. Uh, Kenny, Ari's never seen Star Wars. Are you, a, not, are you not a Star Wars he's guy? A, he's a broken human being. That is crazy. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to offend people and like... Here we go. Sorry, my, offending people <laughs> never. I've been to the movie theaters my entire life, and I watch these grown men dress up as Star Wars characters and stand in line at the movie theater. And I think to myself, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> you know, and it's like, I, I don't want to like everybody likes what they like. You know, I, I play with trading cards. I've got my thing. Um, I just don't understand it. And it's just like, it's not for me. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, you can't enjoy what you like. People like what they like, but it's just, I don't like Star Wars and I don't like sci-fi movies. I don't, I don't, I've never dressed up to go to a movie. I think the last time I went to a midnight movie, like on release was probably Dark Knight Rises. Uh, if I recall, I think that's right. I mean, listen uh, too, like. I can't wait till the NCAA football game comes out so I can play PS5 in my bedroom while eating pizza. Mm -hmm. Like, we all have <laughs> things that we like, and somebody who goes to Comic-Con might think I'm a loser. It's like, oh, those sports guys. Ugh. You're, like, living through the glory of other people's, you know, like, I, I understand <laughs> that everybody's perspective is different, and I have my things, too. I'm not saying that they're wrong or bad people for liking it. I just, you know, I'm not a Disney World guy. I'm not a Star Wars guy. I don't watch Lord of the Rings. It's just not my thing, and it's never going to be my thing, ever. Okay, let's just do the Iowa game real quick. Um, just get it out of the uh, way. I don't think there's much to... Kenny, were uh, you sad you missed the drive to 325 this year? Yeah. No, I, um, I was. I've been kind of um, watching it from afar. I've had a lot of people ask it's me safe how much... place. Been, yeah. Keep a I've safe a distance people, from... <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people have asked me how much Iowa I've watched this year. Um, I've watched a good amount. Some might venture to say an embarrassing amount, considering <laughs> um, I could watch like a real offense here at Bemlin in the SEC, but... Um, I am a little sad that I missed it. And it is interesting because two years ago, my first year on the Iowa beat was, um, you know, Iowa, Michigan and Alabama played Georgia. So back then I could be a Georgia fan and I had to watch Alabama crush Georgia in the press box and have everybody, you know, from my colleagues to other people just trolling me the whole time. And then right after that, we had to watch Michigan 40 piece Iowa in a really depressing game. So 
kind of the, the inverse of this. I'll be at the SEC championship. Um, I don't know how much of the Big Ten championship I'm going to watch, but um, we'll see. We'll see, man. Um, I was talking to <laughs> Scott Dockerman this morning because I thought he wrote a really good column about um, Iowa and the way that they're nationally perceived. Mm-hmm. And his column was basically just the notion that people don't want to see this fairy tale win. And he wrote, if the Hawkeyes were a fairy tale, they would be the ugly duckling. Only people would want the duckling to drown. And I find that to be very fascinating because, um, listen, first of all, in this game, the spread for the first half point total for Iowa is 0.5. And that means that they don't think they're going to score a point in the first half. I don't think that Iowa is going to score a point in the entire game. I'm laying the 23 here. And I also think that um, Michigan is probably going to win the game like 31 to nothing or something or 27, nothing. And I was talking to Scott this morning and I want to hear what you guys take, but like, is this a successful season for Iowa because they made it to the big 10 championship game and they won 10 games. And secondly, is this Iowa ceiling, which I always talk about the importance of a coach being able to get their team to the ceiling. And then lastly, is the ceiling going to collapse like an old rotted out home next year when the divisions disappear? Yeah, I think to start, it's definitely a successful season. I mean, looking at the context of Iowa football's history, they don't win 10 games in the regular season very often. And going to the Big Ten Championship is a significant accomplishment for this program, considering that when the divisions go away, it's going to take a once-in-a-generation type team to get back to this point. You think of the 2015 the 2015 team that went 12 and 0 and made it to the Big Ten Championship is going to take a season like that when you consider Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Washington, Oregon, USC, um, all of these teams entering into the mix. So this is kind of like a last stand type of feel, the last dance type feel for a program with like championship aspirations. So I think from that lens, you have to deem it successful. And then on the other end, if somebody would have told you at the beginning of the year, that Iowa was going to play pretty much the entire season without their three best players on offense. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Kate McNamara, Luke Lachey, Eric All, they were going to lose a few starters on the offensive line, a few guys in the running back room were going to be hurt. And Brian Ferris was going to get fired or, you know, known that he was going to get let go of his duties in the middle of the season. What would you think their record was going to be? Probably not 10, probably not 10 and two. And honestly should be 11 and one had it not been for Cooper DeGene's, um, a waved off punt against Minnesota. So by all accounts, I feel like this is a successful season. I mean, the offense has been an eyesore. I think that's, you know, been well documented. We all know that, but all other things considered, you have to consider this a, a pretty successful season. <laughs> by them, and they probably are going to get crushed by Michigan. Um, but to, to get to this point, I think that was pretty much what we thought the ceiling of this team was going to be anyway. Win the West, see what happens in the Big Ten Championship, maybe play in a New Year's Day game. And, um, you know, hopefully come out of this with with double digit wins. And that's what they've done. That's what really irks me, though, about Iowa. It's like on one hand, you have to, like, clap your hands for Kirk Ferentz and be like, hey, man, you found a way to win 10 games. I know that it doesn't matter what the score is or how many offensive yards you do. If you have a program that is designed to win games and you win them, you should be commended for it, even if it's not entertaining. But on the other hand, it's like if he would have even come close to recognizing the error of his ways with the offensive coordinator earlier and Iowa's offense was 71st or 58th nationally rather than whatever it is dead last, then you might actually think that Iowa could be a lovable underdog with an actual chance to win. Like 
Iowa going into this game in a successful season is going to be met by playing a team that they literally are incapable of scoring on. And it's all because of the coach. And it's just like, and I know that a lot of that has to do with injury. So maybe the coach gets, you know, Kirk Ferentz gets a little bit of a, you know, excuse for that. And it's true. Like they had two really good tight ends. Um, their quarterbacks injured. It would have been cool to see Eric all and um, Cade McNamara go up against their old team. I, I understand that these things happen, but like, it's not even a discussion that they could win this. It's like, there's no yeah. point to even talk about it. Like if they score a touchdown, that would surprise me. And it's just like, if this is Iowa ceiling, even caring half as much about offense as you do about defense, you might actually give your team a fighting chance to do something better than just being a sacrificial lamb for whoever makes it from the uh, Big Ten East. You know, Ari, I think um, the question of whether or not this is a successful season is an interesting one. And I think this honestly maybe taps into, like, why I quote-unquote don't get the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. Because I think, to me, the way that I view college football is it is entertainment. It is my favorite television show. And there's a lot of things that are an offshoot of that. But to me, especially if I'm an Iowa fan or somebody who is emotionally attached to Iowa, that is not entertainment. That is like torture every Saturday, having to watch this team and having to figure out, you know, how are they going to contort themselves into winning this game, you know, and and how ugly is it going to be this time around? And so (laughs) you want to win. Winning is the goal. But if you're not going to win, you should at least be somewhat entertaining. The, the act of watching a team should be, at its core, a joyful experience, or at least an enjoyable experience on some level, right? And with Iowa, it's just, it's not. And I have no emotional attachment to them. I watch them out of morbid curiosity of, like, how bad can it get? And, like... I lost count of how many times I rolled my eyes or shook my head watching Iowa, Nebraska and watching Iowa many times this year. So I don't think you can call this a successful season because like, yes, they won games, but like, it's still an entertainment product. It's still a television show. Well, whether or not you you get to, to you get to enjoy it is a much different point than whether or not Kirk Ferentz did his job this year, which is winning 10 games and getting to the big 10 championship game. And I think they did it in spite of him. Which is why I think Iowa fans are back in on, you know, and Scott was saying he thinks that the anger has subsided since Brian was fired and people are more back in on rooting for this team with all their heart and soul because they respect that despite all the injuries, despite the offensive uh, inept play calling, all that stuff, um, that they fight hard and they try to win games. And the way that they like the way they won the Nebraska game, it's like somebody sold their soul to the devil. That said, this is the worst championship game of all of them in mm-hmm. on Saturday. And it's because there's nothing to see. There's no reason to turn it on. It's just going to be one team not scoring and the other team scoring. Even if Michigan has a bad day offensively, they're still going to probably cover. I mean, 24 points against Iowa. And also too, how much easier it is for teams with good players to score when Iowa is constantly punting the football and not getting first downs. They don't, it's not that they don't score. They don't get first downs. Yeah, They went the entire second half, basically, but until the last minute of the game with one first down last week. So you don't think that Michigan's just going to make them go three and out every time they touch the ball? Oh, and by the way, Michigan also does really well in special teams and on in the trenches and all these things. That's why Iowa can't hang with anybody who's good. And I feel like with the, the recipe that Iowa has, 
that they should at least be what Michigan State was in 2015, a really gritty team that runs the ball hard, plays great defense, and actually can win a game. They can't. They they cannot. There is 0% chance that they could win this football. Even a miracle. They, they cannot win. And you can hang this up in the locker room. If you score a touchdown, then you were right. Yeah. I was going to score in this game. That's about as hot as I'm going to go. They're, what do you mean? Like one <laughs> touchdown? They're going to... They're gonna score. I don't even know if I could say a t- <laughs> they're gonna score they're gonna score points in this game. Tori Taylor pins them inside the five and there's a botched snap. The only way that Iowa will score is if they somehow second. inexplicably score a defensive touchdown or Michigan muffs a punt or turns it over inside their own twenty, which is why I would never take the under of the point five, because you're like just betting against the notion that like Michigan doesn't throw an interception or turn it over in a weird way. And it's like they might after the emotional week that they had last week, but like that's not even the point. The point is that they they stink and it like bothers me. Like they, yeah. they should be better. They should be better. They should be better. They should be better. And I think, you know, to your question of what Iowa's ceiling is, I mean, this is with a functional offense, a playoff contender perennially. Legitimately. If they keep, if they keep mm-hmm. the same level of defense, and the same level of. If they rank team. number 55, Kenny, they could be in the playoff this year. Absolutely. Yeah. So not that they I'm, would win a playoff game, but they could win. They could win. Yeah. The, they wouldn't have lost to Minnesota. Who do they lose? Who else did they lose to? I can't Penn even State. remember. Probably would have lost to Penn State. They probably would have lost to Penn been, State. It would have been a, it would have been a better game. So, but I think, look at Penn State's offense is fractured, and right. they scored thirty one points because of how inept they are offensively. That's the way it works. Like right. Michigan's gonna I, I, Michigan minus twenty four and a half or twenty three and a half is my lock of the week. My lock of the week is Iowa over 0.5 points. And <laughs> I don't know if it's gonna be the first or second half, but they're gonna find a way to put a point on the board for sure. Could you imagine actually making that bet, Dave? Like if you took like 200 bucks. It's the bet of the year. It's the funniest bet of the year. Like if you took the over of that, though, how awful that would be. Like it's already awful enough to watch them not score. But if you lost money every time, like or like you felt like you were losing money every time they threw a (laughs) three-yard out out route on third and nine or every time they ran the ball predictively on first down and just (laughs) don't get anywhere. And it's just like Iowa football. This isn't this isn't right. I just think it's I think yeah. it's messed up. I don't know. I hate it. Okay, that ACC I think that the reason 12. the reason why Scott wrote the column was people want to see Iowa fail. It's like I think it's because they resent the fact that Kirk Ferentz can't own up to the notion that what he did was terrible for the program and its fans, and nobody wants to see him be right in the end. Why don't we go to Florida State because this is an interesting mm-hmm. dynamic. This is a game that I think that. Um, they actually could lose, and yeah. it could throw the playoff into uh, an interesting debate here. But Florida State, 12-0, 8-0, hosting, or not hosting, playing number 14 Louisville in Charlotte in the ACC championship game. Their backup quarterback's in. Jordan Travis, as we all know, uh, broke his leg and is out for the year. Rotomaker last week, I thought, played a little bit better in the second half than he did in the first. Finished 12-25 uh, of 25 against Florida for 134 yards and was sacked three times, but... Louisville's rush defense is is pretty good, and it's going to be an interesting dynamic. Do you think that Florida State is going to lose, either of you? Yeah, I do. Uh, you do? Florida let that game go. Uh, Florida was the better team in the first half. Florida State looked like they were completely lost for a good chunk of that game. Louisville is a lot more competent than Florida, and you know if Louisville puts them in a double-digit hole, Florida State's not climbing out of that. Louisville's really good defensively. They have uh, more weapons in Florida. Obviously, better quarterback play. Um, their starting quarterback, Jack Plummer, is still there. 
I mean, uh, you know, I think that like, like we mentioned on the Saturday night show, Ari, the, the committee's got to be rooting hard for Louisville here so they don't have to mess with this uncomfortable Florida State situation. And I think Louisville wins it. I think Louisville outright is my lock of the week here. Going plus money. Louisville outright lock of the week. Both of your guys' <laughs> locks are spicy. <laughs> and I, I didn't say this before, and you would never notice this, but I had a cavity yesterday, and I had to go to the dentist. Mm-hmm. And it was my first cavity of my life. 35, 36 what? years old. Feel, That's yeah, incredible run, Ari. <laughs> Isn't it great? Like, I feel like that should hang a banner. First that cavity, has to be genetics years. or something. Because I don't, you don't strike me as somebody obsessive about your oral health. And that has yeah, to be some sort of I have great hygiene. You better watch your yeah. mouth. <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're not, you're not a three time a day brush. I don't twice floss. a day flosser. If you don't I floss, brush, it's a genetic thing. I don't floss ever, but I brush okay. my teeth in the morning and at night. And yeah. I think some people only a do genetic. it once a day. It's a genetic um, thing, Ari. Kenny, do you have you ever had a cavity? Yes, I have had it. I have had a cavity before. You know when they give you the shot in the mouth? It was my first yeah. time experience, and I couldn't even feel the left side of my face. Yeah, like, still- this is a thing that most people experience when they're like thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I had no idea that it was going to be that. Like my face was going to be numb. And right. like I was eating dinner last night, and I was like biting my lip, and like I've got like cuts on my lip now because I was biting it because my <laughs> face was numb. So much, <laughs> Ari. I have so much. This is an incredible run. This is one of. I had a friend of mine in college who was raised by uh, his word hippies, and he's never eaten a hot dog in his whole life. That's and he bizarre. got well, yeah, but he got to college, and he's like, it's such a streak at this point that I don't want to break it. I'd like to get to my grave having never eaten a hot dog. And to my knowledge, he still never has. So I'm sorry that. But that wouldn't hippies be Ari. more likely to eat hot dogs because they serve hot dogs at like Woodstock, don't they? Uh, That's what I people eat like in those a, scenarios. It's like a vegan thing. He's not really vegan, but his parents were. But the no, uh, well, I'm I'm a very healthy person. I've never broken a bone or had surgery or had major situations. But my teeth are terrible, and I have pretty good oral hygiene. So you don't strike uh, me as somebody who cares about their oral hygiene either. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> I need to get my teeth whitened. That's actually very unhealthy for your teeth. That's not good for your enamel, just for the record. I, I want to just look cute. Yeah, well, that's good, Ari. You're going to have uh, more cavities if you do that. Yeah, so I lost Florida where State, we were at. What were we talking if, okay, about? Okay, we're talking about Florida State. And Florida you think, State, Florida State if you can think win the game. Florida State can win. What do you think, Kenny? Yeah, I think you got I nice teeth. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I had braces in, in the whole thing. But, um, yeah, I do think Florida State can win this game. And I think Kentucky provided a blueprint to win this game. So going back to, to last week's game, Louisville pretty much dominated every statistical category. They outgained them. They were better on third down. They had better time of possession. But there was an area that they didn't win that led to a Kentucky win, which is turnover margin. And Florida State is a significantly better team at protecting and taking away the football than Louisville is. Florida State is one of the best teams in turnover margin. I believe they're top five. Louisville is somewhere, um, you know, somewhere in the 30s and 40s in that range. Tate Roadmaker, you know, looking at his statistics, not eye popping, but he's yet to turn the ball over this year. So I look at it as Florida State being able to, you know, control the game on the ground, take care of the football create some havoc on defense and, you know, win a tough game, win an Iowa-esque type of, of game, like create havoc on defense, just don't turn the ball over and, um, and just try, find a way to escape with a win. So I like Florida state in this game um, for those reasons. And it's going to be full anarchy on Sunday for the playoff committee. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that all 
teams are undefeated and that the playoff committee has an easy decision. I think that Florida State's going to win. I think they figured some things out in the second half last week. I think the running game's too good. Louisville lost to Pitt, and I'll never be able to forget that. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It'll be an interesting game. But the thing that's crazy is, is that it is, I believe, the last game on the schedule for – like it's yeah, it's at seven o'clock and it's yeah. played at the same time concurrently with the Michigan. ACC, the which, Big Ten, do the prime time. Yeah, yeah. So the Big Ten game already has been decided. I don't even know why they're playing it. I think this game, there's going to be a lot of people like watching it, being like, "What is my team going to get in?" Like, I think mm-hmm. that like Saturday night's going to be a very interesting game, and I think that Florida State's going to spoil that party. Lock of the week is bold, dude. Is Let's it? go to the Big Twelve. Texas. Do we have- do we have Steve Sarkeesian on the on the broadcast for the ACC title game making the case for Texas? Yeah, maybe. I mean, they're they're in, they're in a tough position right now. Yeah, because it's like on one hand, Texas needs Alabama to win because then they will have the best win of the season. But then on the other hand, they don't want to go against Alabama in a one loss debate that keeps them. I, it, this is going to be fascinating. Texas is laying fourteen and a half. It's a three score favorite against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, I think, has done. A tremendous job this year of taking what looked like was going to be a disaster of a season and then turning it into something good. But I just don't think they're good enough to compete in this game. Uh, We call this another Mike Gundy chicken salad special here, I suppose. Uh, Unbelievable year. I think I'm with you, Ari. Coming into this year, I thought five and seven was really possible for Oklahoma State. So this has been a weird year for Oklahoma State because twice this year, They've completely no-showed. That uh, South Alabama game, at the time, and even looking back, is one of the most confounding results of the entire college football season. I don't even know what happened there. I don't know if they had some bad fish in the pregame meal or or what was going on there. It wasn't a filet of fish, I'll tell you that much. That's true. There's no such thing as a bad filet of fish, Ari. but when Oklahoma State shows up, that's a competent team. It's a very good team. And I don't think facing a Texas team on its way out of the Big 12 in a dome with the Big 12 title on the line that they are going to not show up. I'm not sure they can get there in terms of winning this game. I, I think it's theoretically possible. This is too many points. This is too much respect for Texas coming off of last week. Some disrespect for Oklahoma State who no-showed against BYU last week and still somehow managed to win that game. I think they were down, what, 23-6 in the second half. So Oklahoma State covers this easily. This was close to my lock of the week. Yeah, I see Texas winning this game pretty comfortably. I mean, 14 and a half is a jarring number, but I think it could get up to I think it can get up to that point. I kind of look at it from the opposite point of view. I mean, we look at an Oklahoma State team that scratched and clawed their way to a win against BYU just to kind of hold serve and not have it be like this embarrassing all you had to do was be BYU and get into the championship. Um, they were able to do that. Texas is um, obviously rolling right now um, off a 50-point win and 10-point um, win the week before after kind of um, escaping the the week prior. So I just feel like this is a Texas team that's kind of trending upward. This is an Oklahoma State team that is a little Jekyll and Hyde this year, um, not knowing what you're going to get. So I feel like they've kind of expounded a lot of that um, 
you know, emotion last week just got me to get to this game. And I feel like this is Texas moment. And ironically for Ari, who I know has been um, kind of standing on this Texas forefront here for a long time, like they could be 12 and one and win their conference championship and be left out of the playoffs and to be justifiable, depending on what happens the the rest of, you know, the landscape. But I don't see Texas, um, you know, overlooking this game or taking it for granted or anything like that. I, I expect a complete performance. And I think Texas is going to win this one fairly easily. Why don't we I, I actually right, Ari. We didn't consider get the Texas fact this year. that Texas is actually turning it on at the right time and is a team that has a ton of talent that's playing well and is confident and just beats the crap out of them. Like, you don't think that's out there? It's possible. Especially considering think- the fact that they probably feel like they need to impress somebody if they're going to be in a debate. Like, let me, let me tell you this. Alabama beats Georgia somehow. Mm-hmm. And then people view Texas as a roadblock, but Texas might be, it might work out where Texas is directly compared to Oregon at the end of this. Because I don't think that people are really listening or, or giving much thought to the notion of like, if Oregon wins the Pac-12, people have said that they are 1,000% in, right? Like if, if Oregon wins on Friday night, we will write ga- stories about this is a play-in game for the CFP. But if Michigan wins and Alabama wins and Florida State wins, Texas wins by a million and Oregon beats Washington, is it a foregone conclusion that Oregon gets in over Texas? Like, is I that think you're fact? underrating? I think you're underrating Georgia in that conversation too. Well, I think Alab- comparing Texas. Well, no, to no, Georgia no. There'd be really one spot left. There's one spot left. If I know, Michigan's that's what I'm saying, in, but it'd be one Michigan's between in. Georgia, Oregon, and Texas. That's what I'm saying. I think Georgia's in that mix too. Yeah, and well, I, I think I, that Georgia would be out. Um, but Maybe. I don't. I think that people view that Oregon wins that discussion ten times out of ten, and you're not like considering the notion that Texas would have owned the best win of the season, a ten point win at Alabama, the SEC champion that just beat Georgia on the road. Like, is there a chance that Oregon is left out? Like that is out there. That is out there, and no one's talking about it. And it's like. It's possible. Like, I don't it's think that Oregon I think, is 1,000%. I, I think Oregon wins that debate seven out of ten times. I think, But yeah, you, I know think that, you know that the committee is obsessed with, with big, important wins. You know that. Yeah, but Oregon would have just had one. They would have a better I win. I know, but it doesn't Texas. compare to beating Bama. You know how much that matters. You know that. You know how yeah, much it does. That, how much that it matters. does. But I'm saying Oregon gets in over Texas because they would have had quite a closing argument. They'd beat an undefeated team. They would have beaten... Uh, every team on their schedule, they obviously would be the Pac-12 champions, which I'd have to look at the metrics. For me, perception-wise, the Pac-12 has been the best league this year. I don't know that the committee looks that way. They're definitely better than the Big 12 this year. So, But Texas goes I into this game so. thinking, the, point, the reason why we got off track there is that Texas goes into this game feeling like a sexy um, blowout victory bodes well for whatever debate they find themselves in on Sunday, which mm-hmm. or Saturday night when the committee meets. I, I think that your lock of the week being fifth plus, I think that that's wrong. I think Texas is going to beat the crap out of them. Well, are you know, a good way to not beat the heck out of a team is to try to beat the heck out of a team and press early. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Mm-hmm. See, it's very true. Okay. Who do we forget? Do we forget a good one? I don't think we forgot a good one. We covered no, the big 10. The, that's the best one. We did the pack 12, the big 10, the big 12 and the ACC. How about the game? How about the um, game? Why don't we that go to the to AAC? To, What's okay, the game that I used to go to? Let's do the AAC you refuse, first. You refuse to go to. I don't you know what you're. 
the noon game in Vegas, sorry, on Saturday. Oh, yeah. I, I, it's still up there. If I'm up till four in the morning on Friday night, it, it ain't happening. But <laughs> UNL, oh, sorry. <laughs> Tulane, 11 and 1, 8 no, playing SMU 10 and 2, 8 no in the AAC. Preston Stone is out for the rest of the season after breaking his leg against Navy. It's a tough blow. Um, you know, we did talk at the beginning of the year of Tulane went undefeated if they might be able to, um, you know, surprise some people in a playoff debate. The season didn't work out the way it worked out for Cincinnati a few years ago, but um, the AAC had the most entertaining conference race of the season. Uh, do we have any thoughts mm-hmm. on this one? If Tulane had managed to beat Ole Miss in that game, I think they'd be an interesting conversation piece. Uh, they'd had no Michael Pratt in that ball game. It's kind of bad luck. Um, but Tulane really impressed me last week. UTSA has gotten red hot, uh, and Tulane handled them pretty easily. Uh, and, you know, UTSA didn't play their best football. They catch a break here, like you said, with no Preston Stone. This would be a fantastic game if you had Michael Pratt and, and Preston Stone going head-to-head. You know, I didn't love what I saw at SMU uh, post-injury. It's really bad luck. You feel bad for them. Um, but before they go to the ACC, uh, I think Tulane sends them there with a win in the AAC championship. I think Tulane wins this game pretty convincingly, probably by double digits. Yes. Um, three and a half seems like low hanging fruit for a lock of the week. Um, but I, I do see Tulane kind of winning this one pretty comfortably. Like David said, I mean, the quarterback situation at SMU is pretty dire. I mean, three guys taking snaps against Navy. Um, this feels like Tulane, is, is that the Alex Padilla from yeah, Iowa? I was going to say, yeah, Alex Padilla okay. from Iowa. I didn't want okay. to throw another Iowa wrench <laughs> in the mix, but there is always an Iowa tie. So I did kind of smile a bit when I saw Alex Padilla got, got some tips. He'll <laughs> play in a, in a championship game just like just like Iowa. Wouldn't that be like a pretty crazy story for championship week? But um, in all seriousness, I do think Tulane is going to win this one running away. Alex Padilla with the, oh, that guy of the year surpassing UMass quarterback Tyson Pomachon. It was it was bookended though cuz Pomachon was week 1. Yeah, week 0. Week 0. <laughs> week zero yeah. Um which seems like yesterday. Okay, let's do some quick picks for the rest of them cuz we want we want to show yeah. some love here. UNLV is 9 and 3 and 6 and 2 in the Mountain West. Boise State 7 and 5, 6 and 2. UNLV is catching 2 and a half. UNLV is having a hell of a season for a program yeah. that's just been down in the dumps. They get to play uh, what is kind of a home game in Las Vegas? Um, do we have any note, any thoughts on this one? I mean, I think you got to go. David Brown is uh, uh, national coach of the year, but Barry Odom's not far behind him. Uh, Bobby Petrino was there for three weeks and bailed, and he went and hired Brennan Marion instead. And Brennan Marion has been in the mix for a handful of jobs. Uh, I think he's definitely due for a big time job bringing the go-go offense somewhere. UNLV's been one of the most interesting stories uh, in college football. It's tough to beat a team twice this quickly. Uh, give me Boise. I mean, sorry, give me UNLV money line here, winning the Mountain West. In Dude, UNLV I love how I love how uh, Dave is just like taking money lines <laughs> the entire game. <laughs> the entire, yeah, I don't need points. I don't need, I don't Plus need money, I don't baby. My luck Plus of the money. week. Your luck of the week is Louisville money line. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be in Vegas. Uh, will you just send me your Venmo and I'll put in however how much you want? A thousand, two thousand for your lock of the week? No, nah, I'm good. Money I'm line. Good. Yeah. It's funny how confident everybody is until actual money gets brought into the equation. <laughs> um, okay. Um, Mac action. 
Huh? Uh, Toledo's an 11 and one team with an eight, no record on the Mac laying seven and a half points against Miami of Ohio, who also is seven and one on the Mac and 10 and two Jason candle, I think is a interesting coaching candidate for other places. Do we have thoughts on this one? Yeah. I mean, no Brett Gabbard is a problem. Uh, Daquan Finn has been really, really good this year. Toledo, not quite as dominant as I think we thought they might be. I mean, we were kind of, we were kind of peeking at them as like, could they sneak into the the group of five, you know, New Year's six bid? They're not that far off, but they win this game and they win it going away. Toledo, as much attention as Daquan Finn gets um, and their weapons as well, the defense has has really been strong for Toledo, and that's what wins in this game. Kenny, do you have a lot of you have a lot of uh, thoughts on what happens in the Glass Bowl? You yeah. watch a lot of Toledo this year on Tuesday nights. I have. I've watched a ton of action this year. <laughs> yeah, no, Maxion is always Maxion is always uh, a good time. I watch Central Michigan is like more of like my um, speed in terms of like you know Maxion, but Toledo, good team. I'm gonna take um, Miami Ohio in the points. I think Toledo wins outright. Uh, you know, just shout out to Chuck Martin and the kind of job that he's been able to do taking a team that won only six games last year. Now they've won ten this year, so pretty impressive turnaround for that group. So I think Miami Ohio plays a, a closer game than the spread indicates, but give me Toledo for the win. I just wanted to say that I've bet on Bowling Green every week for the past 10 weeks, and I think they're 8-2 and two against the spread during that time. So shout out to Bowling Green, my Mac champions. They've been the wagon, man. They've yeah. been unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah they, they, they cover every week. It's incredible. Um, okay, we can do just a, a few quick ones here, and then we'll get out of here. Well, actually, I want to talk a little bit about your Colorado story and then Bobby Petrino. So give us five more minutes. But mm-hmm. just real quick, who do you think wins these games? Um, we have the... Conference USA Championship, 12-0 Liberty playing New Mexico State, and I believe laying 10.5 points. Give me Liberty. Uh, yeah, Liberty uh, is a good team, but stop betting against Diego Pavia, people. New Mexico State and the points here. They, they Liberty keep it close. Cracking into the top 25 of the CFP rankings. Mm-hmm. Um, Sunbelt, Troy laying 6.5 against App State. Uh, here's the thing. I, it, the the coach situation is always uncomfortable, and like John Summerall, if he's back at Troy next year, I'll be surprised. App State doesn't have quite that same issue. It's hard to it. It all is situational. Like, was UTSA was the Jeff Trailer smoke from last week? Was that a reason why they didn't play very well? I, I don't know. That stuff is really really hard to quantify. Um, but give me App State here. I think they're really physical. Uh, give me App State in the points. Yeah, I'm um, I'm also going to take App State in um, this game. I mean, just a program that continuously wins at a high level. I'm a big fan of Eli Wilson. They're tied in somebody that covered when he was in South Carolina and I was a budding high school reporter. So it's fun to see him have some success. But um, give me App State Sunbelt champions. I think it's also worth That's noting nice. that uh, James Madison's going bowling because there aren't enough six win teams. The, well, and Jacksonville I, State. I want to... Matthew C. here is in the chat. I, he is one of our best listeners, most loyal listeners, and I appreciate him very much. Me too. And I want to just tackle this one question with both of you. Mm-hmm. With Michigan not jumping Georgia after beating the former number two team, that means Georgia is in no matter what, Ari. The only thing that keeps them out is if they lose by three scores or more. He's a Georgia fan. I'm not sure that's true. If Alabama beats Georgia by one, I think they are out. Like, is there a notion that the committee would put Georgia in over a Oregon or over a 
one loss Texas if the time comes where they need to make that decision. Like in no, no matter commi- what, the committee, the committee, no, the committee values conference championships, and Georgia has a good resume. Uh, you know, uh, Missouri solid Missouri resume. Thriving. I don't know no, if it's a it's great okay. resume. It's okay. It's not yeah. as bad as we thought it was going to be before the season. We were looking at them before the season and kind of laughing at the schedule. But Missouri came on strong, like, you know, Tennessee's still in the top 25, I believe. I'm pretty sure they Somehow. Are. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know why. But either way, so they also have some quality wins. So I, I think there's a, re- a decent shot. I mean, they need help. The, like, if, if everyone wins that's supposed to win on Saturday, my lock of the week fails, then I think Georgia is probably out. Um, but, I mean... If the committee has a way to put Georgia in, I think they will, but they do value conference champions a lot, and Georgia would not have that piece, and it's not like they have this beast of a resume that would help them. Yeah, if it's if it's really a conversation about the four best teams, I don't think anybody can fix their mouth to say that there are four better teams than Georgia, regardless of what happens against Alabama. Obviously, it's a little bit more of a nuanced conversation than that with you know, strength of schedule and best wins and, and et cetera. But I mean, Georgia has double digit wins against all the ranked teams that they've played. Two of them, Tennessee and Ole Miss were complete dominating fashion. So mm-hmm. when it, when it has been time to rise to the occasion, they've done that. Um, I, I can't envision a world where they're still in the top four, even with a loss, um, just for what I said earlier. I mean, if it's about the four best teams, regardless of, you know, who wins their conference championship. Or, then they should even play the game this Saturday. What's yeah, the point well, of playing it? If that's the case, so put Alabama, Georgia into Michigan, the field and be done with it. Yeah. Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, Texas. Yeah. Okay. I, I, that's fine. Let's cancel the games and just put those teams in. The thing <laughs> I don't, the thing that I don't think is possible is I, I cannot fathom it. If Alabama wins, Florida State wins, and Michigan wins, putting in Georgia over Oregon and Texas would be like so cringe to me. Like, and I know that. It's most it's the best teams and not the most deserving. But the most deserving is also the thing that keeps the integrity of the season in place. And you know, there have been plenty of times where the best teams don't make it. Yeah, I mean Boo Corrigan <laughs> said this week, he's like he's like most deserving is not a real thing. It's like, dude, you can't look me in the eye and tell me that TCU is a better team than Bama last year. I mean, I wrote this column. Like you you can say most deserving is not a thing, but like your actions speak louder than your words. Yeah, I mean in 2015, and this is the only one that pops off to me because I covered it. But Ohio State in 2015 was probably the best team in college football. They lost the one game on their schedule they could not lose, and they did not go to the playoff because most deserving equates to the wins and the conference championships and the things that you get that bolster your resume. It's one and the same. I just if they put Georgia in over Texas and Oregon then you're telling Oregon and Texas that their entire seasons were a waste of time. I just, I, I do not think you could do that the same way that you said last year, Dave, it's the inverse of it, right? Mm-hmm. When, um, when you said that the four, the four best teams did not get in, but that's okay. Like the four best teams yeah. don't get in every year. They don't. Right, I got a quick, say a quick thing. You did say, I'm just going to qualm with you. You did say that Ohio state lost the one game. They could not lose. Is that right? In 2015? Yeah. Which, which game was that? The game that they lost to Michigan State and kept them out of the Big Ten Championship. Wait, 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 wait. I was told that you can't lose to Michigan, Ari. So which no, is No, I meant like in the eyes of the committee. Oh, oh. Like they oh, lost they lost oh, to a team. Oh, oh, no, they no, lost I'm to just, a team that took their spot oh, in the Big Ten Championship no. game. Oh, okay. I'm just yeah. asking. I'm just asking. 
Yeah, you said it was the one game they could try to catch me slipping. He said it was the one game they If Ohio State would have lost to Michigan that year instead of Michigan State, they would have made the playoff. Yeah, okay. I'm just saying, you said it was the one game they couldn't lose. I'm not not contradicting myself. It's a fact. (laughs) I think that Ohio State fans who are probably happy they didn't lose to Michigan, but they might have won the national title in 2015 had they lost to Michigan instead of Michigan State. Well, that sounds terrible. It does. (laughs) (laughs) I personally think if the Georgia loses, they're out. We'll see. We'll see what happens. There's just a Um, lot of moving parts. Like there, it's nice to have some conference title games with a lot of stakes. Like every single power five conference game has some playoff relevance. And that is, I don't think that's ever been the case in the playoff era. I'd have to go back and look. But I don't remember all five having real playoff stakes. Every, like this is like it's it's pretty intense. Yeah, I also agree that Georgia will be out for with a loss just for just for the record. But there's too many good teams out there still. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 yeah. This isn't last year. This isn't last year. Last year, TCU and Ohio State got to go after ending their seasons with um, with losses because there was nobody else viable to be put in. And not uh, Georgia good losses. Will, it should know. It, it yeah, should be like like. If Texas and Oregon are sitting there like puppy dogs with conference championships and like Oregon's last thing they did was beating Washington and then they get left out because because Georgia beat Tennessee like that is just like banana land and nobody in the committee room is stupid enough to fall for that crap. Even if they rank them that high, that's not it's just not going to happen. I'm so I hate to get Ari on the committee at some point. There's a media uh, I I did it. There's a media representation. We got to get you on the committee. Ari. Yeah, I I. Was the most you might be uh, shocked to hear this, but I was the most talkative in the mock committee. <laughs> like I was like butting into every conversation. Like, and guess what in year mine, we did? The, guess what year we did uh, on mine? I don't remember which one. Fourteen. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the nice. Ohio State TCU. I don't. I don't even so, remember which year I did. I was. I did it with RG three uh, and Eric McLean and a couple other people, and they were some of the more talkative ones. Uh, in the I did room. it with Deuce uh, McAllister and Devin Gardner and Boo Corrigan was in the room. Can't remember everybody, but uh, Shahan from CBS was there. It was a fun. Time. My guy, my guy, Shahan. Yeah. Okay. Um, lastly, let's just do two things. One, both David and I wrote Colorado stories this week. Well, mine was a quick opinion column about how poor the Colorado results were. Dave's, alongside Justin Williams and Bruce Feldman, is the one that you should read. It is a you should read Ari's kind of, too. Autopsy is that the word that you were using? <laughs> I, oh, I, yeah, autopsy is a good word. Obituary, deep dive. I mean, the season's a very over. deep dive into what happened to Colorado and what goes from here. It's on the Athletic right now, and like I said at the beginning of the show, there are some good holiday deals. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, to subscribe for one year for nineteen ninety nine or two years for thirty nine ninety nine by visiting theathletic.com slash gift sale. But it's certainly the story that you should read uh, today and into the week. And Dave, tell us about what you found. Yeah, I mean, I think Colorado was very difficult to figure this year because they started out so hot. And, you know, I talked to some people around TCU before and, and after that game, and TCU felt really, really good about their team. They were really confident. And so it wasn't like they were expecting a step back. I mean, people from TCU thought they were going to be better this year than they were last year. I think they knew they got lucky in, in 2022, but felt like they had a lot of weapons. They really liked Chandler Morris. And TCU is sitting here at five and seven. And so you look back at Colorado's season on the whole, they beat zero bowl teams. Um, they got their butts kicked, you know, a few times, some close ish losses. Um, but, but Colorado, to borrow a phrase from the late Denny Green, 
was largely who we thought they were at the start of the season, a four or five win team um, that survived a couple of pretty crazy wins. They beat Arizona State at the gun. They beat Colorado State. Uh, they dominated Oregon. I mean, they dominated uh, Nebraska and beat uh, TCU in a very dramatic game. Uh, and was not very good on the line of scrimmage. Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter are very good players. And then beyond that, they got a lot of holes. And I think that we talked to a lot of coaches around the Pac-12 about how do you fix those things. And if you look at Colorado's class, which Ari wrote about, the high school recruiting is just not there. And Dion is been nowhere on the recruiting trail he is MIA largely where a lot of coaches are on the road and and doing all those things and in the portal you can say we're just going to go get guys in the portal but you know a lot of the coaches we talked to confirmed what I think a lot of us thought before the season which is that they didn't get a lot of really prime guys in the portal um they just got guys that schools that that that, it should be complimentary it's complimentary it's not a way to the thing that is interesting to me and somebody mentioned this to me and I'm sure you've thought about this too, but the way that Deion Sanders is approaching building Colorado strikes me as someone who doesn't intend to be there very long. Yes. Like, I think he's trying to catch lightning in a bottle, win eight or nine games with his son, and then either parlay that into a different job or bounce. Like, you need to at least attempt to recruit really good, even if you're only going to take 12 guys because you're a portal person. Like, he's not even trying to get 12 great players in his high school. It's like, we talked about this on the phone and we talked, I wrote about it in my column. When's the last time anybody saw a picture of Deion Sanders at a high school? When's the last time you ever saw him at a a seven room, a seven on seven tournament or a living room or a high school football game? He doesn't go. The only time you see Deion Sanders is when he's on the sideline of Colorado or in an Aflac commercial or a pistachios commercial. And Oh, my whole take on this is... Oh, wait. Is it Almonds and Pistachios? I think it's both, but I think he's, he's playing both sides of the game. Wow, there. the Nut King. And he Impressive. puts them both in the oven, too, but they never <laughs> talk about that in, uh, in the commercial. I think he needs to stop being a celebrity and being start being a coach if he's ever going to be good. And it's like it's a shame because it really did seem to me that when they started off 3-0 and at the beginning of the year, that he had proof of concept to go out and recruit high school guys to build a foundation of players who would be in his program for three years, and they actually had a chance of building something that could win the Big 12 and potentially do even more at Colorado. But what I'm seeing from him in the time since we wrote all those columns at the beginning of the year of how awesome he was doing has been a complete flop. He's messed up his coordinator situation. You've got decommitments all over the place. You've got people leaving, like Tim Brewster just retired because he got demoted. Like, I don't know what they're doing all and if the answer is trust the process uh we're gonna fix it in the portal like it's like i don't believe that mm-hmm. so and it should be noted sean lewis who was not good enough to be his oc is now the head coach at san diego state which is a very good job yeah and he'll probably do pretty well there and then be a p5 so. head coach by the way sean lewis congratulations from going uh mm-hmm. to kent from kent to san diego that's a pretty kent ohio to san diego that's a, a pretty big weather shift by the way we got a shout out we got a couple of them this morning Ari. Uh, it's Spotify Wrapped Day. Uh, a lot yeah, of we got a few. If you, if you're on, if we're on your list, hit us up. I, I appreciate yeah, tw- it. Like, yeah, listen, tweet it. This tweet this it. This season and I'll has you. been. We're gonna keep it going in the off season, obviously. But this season has been really fun. I think Ari mentions it. Like it feels like we have a bit of a community here, and it's been really fun to put our nuts in the oven together. <laughs> um, to to uh, Kenny, you put your nuts embrace. in the oven. <laughs> 
<laughs> nah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> to embrace to embrace uh our fondue together. Uh it's been a f- super fun season and I'm mm-hmm. excited to keep it rolling. So anyway, if we're on your Spotify wrapped, hit us up. We might retweet you. I probably Lastly, guys, I know this is getting long. Mm-hmm. It's a lot a lot to talk about. Um Poppy Petrino is now the offensive <laughs> coordinator at Colorado, and I can't recall. Did we ever tell the story of the story you did and what you put me through? Have we ever? Uh, I I we, I think we've mentioned it. You can. Br- okay. You can, I will, is now the time? I can tell you. I can tell you briefly. So I was working on this story about Bobby Petrino. There is a very popular conspiracy theory about said Bobby Petrino motorcycle accident that I was very curious if it was true. It is not true, but I ended up writing a story about the motorcycle accident and we had to get the young lady that Bobby's dalliance eventually um, it should be noted. Bobby Trina was not fired from Arkansas for having an affair. He was fired at Arkansas for lying about the nature of his relationship with a subordinate that he hired for a job that she was not qualified for. That's why he was fired. Should note that. But this young woman, as journalists do, I got an address for her. It was not far from Ari's house certainly closer than to my house. And I asked Ari 45 minute drive from my house to go, to go knock on their door. I had two addresses. I accidentally gave him Well, I was guessing which the address, cause there's two associated with her in public records. The first was for her stepfather. The second was her house. And, uh, Ari in the bro move of all time, bro moves knocked on their door. So, and I knocked and on got, the stepfather's door first. And then he said that I told him why I was there. And then he gave the other house a heads up in the 10 minutes it took me to get to the other one. And they were waiting for me. And it was not a fun evening. But if you are one of the people who are like, God, are Ari and Dave mad? He Ari keeps yelling at Dave. <laughs> I don't think I could express my love for somebody in any more of a fashion than doing that. <laughs> it's so true. I, 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 Ari uh, has I my undying you. respect also. And I think like it feels like a desperation move. I think there's still a world in which this can work. For whatever, for all the dysfunction that people thought was going to happen at AM, that never really happened last year. Um, Sam Khan talked to people and, and said, hey, it went pretty well. And I think he, Bobby was probably a little hamstrung by what Jimbo wanted to do offensively. And Sam is very hands off at Arkansas. So I think schematically it can work. KJ Jefferson looks like he's headed for the portal. They may have to portal a QB. You've got some major issues, you know, with outgoing portal kids at Arkansas, but it's a desperate move. Uh, it is a weird move and i think it might work but just there's a lot of ocs that are really effective at what they do that don't have the kind of baggage and distraction that bob petrino has and recruiting acumen which i'm not sure bobby has so do you think vetting was hard the vetting process well they have all the records there necessary to vet so (laughs) they have access to a lot of information Yeah, people don't get hired at places they were fired from for the nature in which he was fired from very often again. So they're they're down bad and they're trying to fix it. Uh, Kenny, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Dave, I appreciate you as always. And all the people who are listening live, thank you so much. The season has been incredible and the death of the four team era is going to be quite the entertaining out with a bang scenario on Saturday. So everybody enjoy the games on Saturday and Friday night. We will catch you on Friday night after the Pac-12 game to kind of do a 20, 30-minute reaction show. Um, I'm going to try to get Stuart Mandel to join me on that. And then Saturday, we will have our Saturday night reaction show to all the games that happened on Saturday. And then Sunday, 
after the college football playoff uh, field is revealed, we will catch you there too. Be sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel and the podcast feed to get all of the situation, um, the situation recaps, the podcasts, the videos, the arguments, the discussions, everything that we do will be in both of those feeds. Thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time, that was Until Saturday.